We're continuing our exposition of the law. And here we are in Exodus chapter 20. Now we're going to look at verse 10. We've come to the fifth command of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Now before we set out the text in particular, I do want to set it in its context. So I want to read for you the Ten Commandments. So this is Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. And this is what Holy Scripture says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once more for his help as we turn to this word. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, that we might keep them to the very end. Give us understanding that we would keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your commandments. May they be our delight. Incline our heart to your testimonies. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things. This moment, this hour, give us life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. We long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give us life. Do this, we pray, as your word goes forth. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but one thing that struck me in our study of the Ten Commandments as we've been working through the book of Exodus is just how deadly serious God is about these commands and that they would be obeyed. Uh, it's just struck me how often the death penalty has been the consequence for disobedience to any one of these commands so far, and the command today to honor your parents is no exception, uh, such that we read later in the law, this is Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Or again, just a couple of verses before that, we hear this, this is Exodus 21, verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Again, we get a feel for what God thinks about honoring our parents. Uh, this is no light thing. It's no small matter. And I think we understand that, especially if we're parents, the importance of it. And yet we look at this and we go, at least I do, the death penalty for this. That seems like a bit much, doesn't it? I mean, why would God take honoring our parents so seriously, more than that, so severely? Well, I think the church father, St. Augustine, was on to something when he said this. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? See, Augustine understood, and he, I think you can draw this from Scripture here. The home is where honor for authority starts and begins. We learn about authority. We learn about our position in this life. We learn about what does it mean to respect authorities, to submit to authorities, to obey authorities, and we learn the consequences for not doing so, and we learn it first here, right within our own home with our parents. Maybe like you, I would often have to draw this parallel with my own kids when they were receiving discipline. 
because it was not infrequently at times, I got the question, yeah, but why doesn't daddy get spanked? So I'd reason with them. Well, understand, your daddy is under authority too. Just like you, when you hit your brother and you've so disobeyed God's authority over you, let alone the authority of my house, which tells you to leave your siblings alone. When you've disobeyed, there's a consequence for your disobedience to an authority. But it's the same for daddy. If I went out of the house and started punching people left and right, the police authorities get a hold of me, and there would be consequences. Spanks? Something like that. We learn about authority, and we learn about it first in the home. And the issue is, if we will not learn it there, or if we learn as a pattern to disregard our parents' rightful and good authority that God has put in place, our lives, let alone society, we understand, begins to unravel. And in this way, we start to see that all of life, it's set up as an authority structure. God designed it this way. From kings to presidents, policemen, security guards, to bosses and employers, to security guards, to teachers, advisors, and crossing guards. We live under all kinds of authorities in all kinds of spheres. And how we respond to those authorities in this world impacts us. It changes it. See, God made our world. He ordered it by authorities as he is the chief and supreme authority over all. And so with this command, God wants us first to learn this lesson at home. Honor all authorities that God has placed in your life. That will serve you well throughout your life. Honor, honor all authorities God has placed over you, but it starts with the authority of your parents. And we'll see that this is the fruit. This is what a faith in God looks like lived out. Genuine faith, then, gives genuine honor to one's parents. And we see that, that this goes all life long. This isn't just when you're in, your home, in their home. It's not just a call to when you're a small child and you can be disciplined. This is a lifelong call for those who are to walk after our God. It's to give honor to whom honor is due, and it starts with right in your own home. And we'll see this play out in three aspects. And the first we need to come across is this, in this fifth command, calling the Christian honor code. We need to see first that honor starts with worship. Honor starts with worship. Before we zoom into the details of our particular command, the fifth command of the ten, uh, we need to pull out a little bit and see the structure, really the, how the whole ten commandments fit together. Um, we're a bit remiss that we haven't done that yet as we've been taking week after week through the ten commandments, but I haven't uh, pointed to this yet. And it's important this morning as we've turned to the fifth command, for you see that things start to shift as we've turned to the fifth command. If you're not aware, so far the first four commands of the Ten Commandments are more what we would call vertical commands. They deal with how we should think about God and relate to Him. Well, with this fifth command, we're taking a turn and things turn horizontally. That is, these are commands with how we deal with our neighbor, how we deal with those, as we see here, that are in our very home. Now, we have learned so far that these Ten Commandments, these are a summary of the moral law of God. They are a summary of what will play out for Israel in 613 total laws. Now, I don't know about you, but especially as I get a little bit older, even, it's barely, it's impossible to be able to hold all of those 613 laws in your mind given in the Old Covenant, to have them in your mind all the time and to have mastered all of their implications as you walk through all of your life. And so in summary, God has given them, well, here's the 10 guiding principles. Here are the 10 foundation pillars upon which all of those other laws are built around. Think about these 10 and they will lead you in the right path. But even these 10 commandments that are really the summary of the law, they're consolidated even further by our Lord. And I want to show you that. So turn over with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to turn to the New Testament and look at Jesus here in Matthew chapter 22. Because Jesus can take even the Ten Commandments and consolidate it further into just two. 
that encompass the ten and really all of the law of God. So to set it for you here, the scenario, the different sects within Judaism have been testing Jesus, trying to trap him and so forth. The Pharisees now get their turn. These are the specialists in the law. And so they set up Jesus to try and trick him and trap him by asking him this question. Hey, what's the greatest of the commandments? And why is this a tricky question? It's kind of like giving the question from one of your kids when they say, hey, which one of, our, which one of us is your favorite child? And by the way, you don't answer that question other than to say, you're all my favorites. So how can you pit one authoritative word from God over the other? And yet there is a way to summarize them as Jesus draws out. So they're at, they ask him, what's the one command that's over them all? Here's Jesus' answer. This is Matthew 22, verse 37. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, and that with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he's clear. This is the great and first commandment. If he had to pick one, this is it. Love God. And love God with everything that you are, because that's what he is due. But notice, without skipping a beat, Jesus didn't put a verse break there. He goes right into verse 39. Because when he mentions one, he cannot but mention the next. So verse 39, he told us what the greatest commandment was, love God, but then he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They go together. Love for God, love for neighbor, they are all held together as a summary of the law. Yes, the great command is to love God first, but it has an essential, a necessary second, such that you cannot bifurcate or separate the two. He goes on to explain this. Look at verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The whole Testament depend on just these two commands, love God and love neighbor. Actually, that word depend, more literally, you could translate it as hangs. Such that if you imagine if you had a board and it had a peg out of each and you have two boards with two pegs, you have the love God peg and you have the the love your neighbor peg. You could go through all of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, and you could either say, "Mm, that's more of a love God peg, or that's more of a love neighbor peg. And you can certainly do that with the 10. We've talked about this already. You take those first four commandments in the 10, 10, that goes on the mainly, as I'll say, the love God peg. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall not bear his name in vain. You shall honor his Sabbath day. But then as we turn at the fifth command, honor your parents, well, now we're dealing directly with our neighbors. And in this case, the closest neighbors right with us. But then also don't murder anyone else. That's a good way to love your neighbor, by the way. Don't kill them. Be faithful. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't be jealous. These first four are more about they hang on loving God. Well, the other ones hang on more, you would say, loving neighbor. But here's the thing, and this is Jesus' point, and this is why he had to say, he was compelled to say the second command after the first. They go together. They all ultimately hang on one peg. Obedience to God looks like love for God and neighbor, and it goes together. And so what do we draw from this? Why is this important to set out as we make the transition to now the the vertical commands? First of all, you can't really do the vertical, excuse me, can't really do the horizontal unless you do the vertical first. You cannot, appropriately speaking, be able to love others unless you first set up your love for God because they go hand in hand. But then conversely, you can't have one without the other the other way. You can't dream and think, oh, I'm really loving my neighbors if you don't have a love for God. You can't begin to imagine that you love God, also works this way, if you don't love your neighbor. Such that the Apostle John just puts this so powerfully when he writes in 1 John chapter 4. He says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, that man is a liar. You're fooling yourself. If you're saying all day long, I love God, I love God, oh, I obey those commandments, I I have no other gods, but then, practically speaking, you hate your brother, you don't love God. You're just fooling yourself. You're a liar. 
John goes on to say, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That is, if you think that you have a love for the invisible God, but you cannot love the visible brother right in front of you, your neighbor, you're fooling yourself. And I think for us at church, that is, the religious types, the kinds that would, you know, you got, you got your weekend. It's your free time. But you guys are here. You have slotted your free time to come gather at church. But I think this is a real temptation for us. That we come, we gather on the Lord's Day even, because we're trying to show out, oh, I have a great love for God. And yet, when we leave this building, we can be so quick, can't we, to judge our brothers. To be great at specters of finding specks, moral faults, and issues in our brothers' and neighbors' eyes especially the ones that don't worship like we do. Oh, interesting, you went there to that place. I don't think they do expositional preaching there. <laughs> All the while, we're trying to get those specks out of our neighbor's eye, and we have these huge logs jetting out of our eyeballs. Thinking all the while, oh, yes, I love God. I listen to John MacArthur every day on his podcast. God must be so pleased with me, and yet we fail to actually love our neighbor and our brother. We dishonor our parents. We hate others. We hate political opponents wishing they were dead or something like this, or whoever you have animosity toward. And so it's good. It's good before we get any further, especially here as we're turning to that fifth law. It's good if we take a summary of the law and we consolidate it further. It's really about love God, love neighbor, but it's really about those things go together. You can't focus on one and not then necessarily focus on the other. Or say that God is pleased with your worship if you're willing to just ignore and disregard the other six commands. It's got to be both. Love God, love man. So let me ask then, how is your love for your neighbor? In the context of the command we're going to consider in a moment, how are you doing in honoring your authorities? that God has placed in your life? What about your parents? Are you holding on to bitterness? Are you envious of others? Well, what we're seeing, that's a problem. And it's not just a problem, as you probably already knew before you came in here, oh, because I've been disobedient. But it's a problem that actually goes deeper, doesn't it? Because all of these laws kind of hold together. So if you're failing in your love for man, that's an indicator that there's something wrong in your love for God first. Your failure to love man is a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. It's a worship problem. And so as we walk through this command, as we walk through the rest of the commands, as you well might imagine, this is what the law does. It exposes us. Exposes our hearts, exposes whose we are before God. And we're going to find out maybe we fail at times. And that's not just showing that we're failures at times, but it's showing we have a disordered worship. So get ready. We're going to go in. You might get stung a little bit, rebuked, convicted. It's what the law does. But it also, as we've seen, right, it directs us to the one place where there's a solution. One place where the disobediences can be dealt with course, in the mercy and love of Christ. And as we come to remember that mercy, what do then we do out of gratitude? We want to honor and obey our parents and obey this law all the more. But we got to see it begins with worship. This is a worship issue. Second, you need to see that honor begins at home. We'll see this as we return now to Exodus 20 and just look at that main command. But True obedience is a call to honor. It begins with worship, yes. But as it plays out, it plays out first with those closest and really first relationships you ever have, your parents. Honor begins at home. Let's look at verse 12 of Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother. Again, evidently, as we opened even, how you treat and think about your parents to God, that's a pretty important thing. Because even as we've talked about, the first four commands are more of the, the vertical ones. And starting from five on, we're getting to horizontal commands when he's dealing with how you interact with others. 
Well, isn't it interesting that the first place he goes when he says, here's how your faith gets lived out among others, it's not at VCU. It's not in your workplace even. It's right in your own house. Don't you see the importance of the home as this priority and really first relationship in your life? And that is not uh, well accepted more and more these days, isn't it? there's this bent in our culture, this really a resurgent Marxist ideology that's trying to deconstruct the nuclear family, saying things like, well, the, the, the nuclear family is a Western invention. Well, let me give you a clue. Mount Sinai is not in the West. This is God speaking from heaven. It's the very fabric of how God has designed this world, that there would be Parents who have children in their home under their care and authority. That wasn't created in the West. It was created by God who created the family. God established the family as a priority of care to look out for their kids, to raise them, counsel them, feed them, direct them, raise them. And any child who has been blessed with, I think even one parent who cared like that, and unfortunately not every person gets that, do they? But maybe you've seen it in other people, or maybe you see it in your own children. The many blessings that we have reaped because of what others have sown, our parents, in our life. And yet, even though God created this, and even though, especially once you're a parent yourself, you, you can see all of the good that comes from this family unit, yet naturally, what do we do? Oh, we kick against this thing, don't we? I mean, it's the, the running mantra, especially as growing up in the 80s, it's like this rebellion against all authority. And I guess it goes on, but it starts in the house. In our sinful rebellion, we're just so quick to run the other way or run away from home altogether. How often it is our parents have to be the first one to bear the brunt of our defiance first. But that's not the way it should be. And so he counsels us, he commands us to go the other way, which is to honor our parents. Now, what does this mean biblically? What does this mean to honor our parents? What kind of honor do we have in mind? To honor in the Hebrew is to give something weight, to give it significance. Now, this word often gets used in reference to God. It's used in the reference of you glorify God. You give him weight and significance in your life. He matters. Well, that's transitioned and given here to parents. They are to have weight in your life. They are to have significance. You need to treat them like they matter. You need to live your life and think about things in this world like they count for something. They should be considerable in your estimation. And negative, at the least, that means, as we saw when we opened, you don't curse your parents, you don't treat them as a light thing, nor do you strike them or hurt them in any way. That goes, of course, against this command of honoring them. The point is, this is not a command of just, that just keeps in your brain. This has to have hands and feet. So what does it mean to honor our parents practically? And to bear this out, I want to turn with you to a couple New Testament texts. And so turn over with me to Mark chapter 7. As we consider this command, honor your parents, I think there are two principal applications, very practically what this looks like. And Jesus expounds upon one for us, actually quoting this text from Exodus in Mark 7. But before you get there, or as you're getting there, I want to remind you of this. Remember, as God is speaking out of the mountain of Mount Sinai, He's talking directly to all of the people of Israel. But of the people he's talking to, perhaps most directly, are the adult men and women in the assembly. That's who, most principally, he gives this command, honor your parents to. That is, he's giving the command to many people that are already parents themselves. Why is this? Well, at the very least, it's because this command to honor your parents is far more than little children obey your parents. It's more than that. It's a command that's for little children, yes, but big children, 
teen children, adult children, and adult children who have their own households. You are still called to honor your parents. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus draws out for us in Mark 7, here's principally what it looks like. It looks like caring practically for your aging parents. To provide for your aging parents when they can no longer provide for themselves. So, setting the context here, Jesus, he's running against the legalist Pharisees again. These guys who were the, the specialists in God's law. We love God. We love his word. But it seems like Jesus draws out, you love his word and study it only enough to try and find loopholes so you don't have to obey the parts you don't like. And so, he confronts them. And he says this in verse 9 of Mark 7. And he said to them, You sure have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. That's not a compliment. Well, what what commandment is he talking about and so forth? He tells us, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's the command we're looking at, isn't it? And whoever reviles in his father or mother must surely die. And yet, what are they doing? So here it comes. He's going to say, you're breaking the law of God. Well, how are they doing that? How are they disobeying this command to honor their father and mother? Here it is, verse 11. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, well, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, it's dedicated to God for the worship of God, say for the temple. But if a man should Tell his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me, how I could have helped your needs, that thing's Corbin, so I can't give it to you, verse 12. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, and thus you make void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. It's very interesting. You've constructed this whole tradition to find ways to not obey the command to honor your father and your mother. What's going on here? It's like clever tax evasion. It's clever accounting by the Pharisees and others, so they don't have to give to their parents. Oh, I know, Mom and Dad, I know you're in financial straits, but all that money, it's already accounted for. I dedicated it to God and to the temple. I'm just, otherwise, I'd help you out in a cinch. But you wouldn't want me to compromise my love for God, would you? Oh, mother and father, I am so sorry. So sorry for you that I am so godly. Devilish, really, right? As Jesus concludes, thus you make void the word of God by your tradition. That money could have been used to actually care and honor your parents, and that way honor God, but instead you want to honor your pocket. And that nullifies this word. And so we see the way Jesus boils this down. There's a responsibility here to care for your parents in their old age. To care for them when they can't care for themselves. And this isn't easy. It's hard. And I've seen it both ways that it's hard. Okay? So on the one hand, you've got adult parents who now need to think about again planning and caring for people after they just launched all the dependents out of their house. Seems like in God's providence, once you do that, dependents keep coming back in. That's challenging. And it's hard for aged parents too, right? As they come into this, they need to learn to trust their children who are trying to honor and care for them. Like when they say, hey, dad, Can I have the keys? But they don't mean it because they want to go drive. They're asking for the keys because now they want to make sure you don't. And that's hard. Or when they're giving you counsel about finances and medical care that you used to do for them all the time, but now you're having to relinquish that over to them. Why? Because they're trying to honor you. They're trying to help you. They're trying to care for you. And when they were under your house, right, sometimes they didn't agree with your commands. And so they would do well to just trust you. Well, now you're being put in that same situation. And if you can't really trust them, you know who you can trust? The Lord who's given you this. They love you. They're trying to care for you. 
Let's make it easier on everybody. <laughs> but a responsibility here, honoring our parents, is to make sure they're cared for. Next, I want to take you to one more text on this matter. And turn with me. We already saw it in the scripture reading, but Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the other aspect, kind of on the younger spectrum, you might say, in particular, of what it means to honor our parents. And it's simply this obedience. How do you honor your parents? You obey them. And we see that in Ephesians 6. Really, that's the chief application Paul directs to the church there at Ephesus from this command in Exodus. So, opening up Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then notice, he goes right to Exodus in Deuteronomy, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Surely, honoring your father and your mother must look like obedience to them. How do you honor them? You obey them. That means you submit yourself to their counsel, to their instruction, to their discipline. And what does that look like? We said it in our home all the time. I'm sure I got it from some Christian book. But true obedience is obedience that is all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Because that's what God wants from us in our obedience, to be clear. Because, by the way, and I was more than guilty of this, far more than my kids are. But this is not obedience. Son, you should probably go up and clean your room. Fine. Slam the door. And I fulfill the letter of the law, Dad. My room's clean. Yeah, that's not honoring, is it? Might be obedience on the basic level, but it's not even obedience because your heart's not there. All the way, right away with a happy heart. That's what real obedience should look like. That's how you honor them in it. Now, but is obedience to our parents always just absolute obedience? When you're little, seems like it, probably should be. But even here, there's some qualifications. And there's two. And the first one's right in the verse. Uh, verse 1 of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is, if their parents are telling you to do something that's not according to the Lord, according to Jesus, what He wants for you, whatever you do, don't do it. When the will of your parents and the will of Jesus clash, you are called to obey King Jesus, the higher authority over your parents. Always obey Jesus over your parents when their wills conflict over your life. Now know this. In the main, though, Jesus wants you to obey mommy and daddy, okay? Which means you need to relinquish your own ideas and trust those God has put over you. And honoring them, the first and primary thing we learn about honoring authorities is to obey them. But it has to be in the Lord. And so as an aside, too, let me just say, fathers, mothers, are you training up your children in the Lord? such that they can even know what it means to walk in the Lord, that they know His Word? Are you investing in them such ways that they know what it means to be a Christian, that they know what it means to walk after Jesus? Or do they have no context for this? You are just supreme over their whole world. You know, you can go a long way in your home, as we kind of talked about earlier in regards to maybe sharing with our kids about that we're under authority, you know, when you wrong your kids and you've sinned against them, maybe it's even in discipline. You can go a long way to show them that you submit to King Jesus too by confessing your sins to your kids and saying, Daddy was wrong. I should not have yelled at you. Will you forgive me? You don't do them any favors pretending you're not a sinner too because you're not the authority. King Jesus is. May that grace culture be cultivated in our homes. But in the first place, we obey, we obey in the Lord. That's what we do for our parents. But another limit, or you might say facet to the child's obedience that's here, is that when the parent-child relationship changes, because it does over time, it changes, namely, as the child's independent, out of the house, but especially as that child marries. 
And we can see that captured here, even in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 6. Just bump your eyes up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. There, Paul's quoting from Genesis 2. And actually, in Genesis 2, in that verse, that's the first time we hear about a father and mother, per se. First time we hear that language. And what do we hear about it? Well, it's setting up marriage, but it's telling us about how the parental relationship also changes once a marriage of our child happens. So we read this, verse 31 of Ephesians 5, again, which is quoting from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But you see it there. In marriage, what's gone on? You've actually left your father and mother, in a sense. Now, in the ancient context, you might not even literally leave the same roof, but you have left in priority of relationship. You've made a new priority, and it's to your spouse. For you're one flesh with them, and you have a union with them that's unchanging, unlike the one with your parents. So the priorities change. The commitments change. Such that for the married child... They are not expected in that way for absolute obedience, nor even required to whatever their parent might say. You don't have to submit to their even wisdom and counsel all the time. But though you don't have to obey them in every which way, no matter how old you are, you need to honor them in it. Listen to this from Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother. Then it adds this, when she is old. Presumably, once you already have your own family, you must not despise. You must always honor your parents. Listen to their advice. You don't have to obey it. It's not law for you. But if you don't go with their counsel, even honor them in that. And if I was getting questions, well, how do you do that? Oh, pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for open hearts from your parents. That you guys can talk as Christ-fearing adults. And if that's not possible, pray they would hear it in the most honoring way possible. But whatever it is, you need to give them that honor to hear them, pursue them. And that's an easy temptation to start despising our parents as they get older. Because getting old's hard, so I've heard. Um, you don't hear as well. Uh, you can't jump as high. You get beat by your boys in one-on-one basketball. Wait, this is my world. Okay, let's go back. Um, you don't see as well. You don't think as well at times. Common things get mixed up. You start to repeat stories. But get this, right? If the Lord gives you life, that's going to be you. And how do you wish your kids would care for you? Your kids that you sacrificed for so much for. When they couldn't think straight, you were thinking for them. They couldn't tie their shoes, you tied their shoes for them. I don't even want to talk about changing diapers. But how would you want them to treat you in that? Mercilessly tease you about it? No, honor. Serve. Care. Seek out their counsel even. That's a great way to honor them while they can still give it. But to boil it down then, to honor your parents means to always respect them, to give them deference, care, to hear them, treat them like they really matter to you, because they should. And do so throughout your life. In each and every stage of childhood and even their parenting. Now, we've already shared, this is not going to be easy, this need to honor And so God even sees this when he gives the command. You know, you can ask the question, how can we keep at this for so long to continue to sacrifice and honor? Well, honor carries on by promise. God promises that it's worth it. And we see that as we return to Exodus 20. But maybe keep your finger there in Ephesians because we'll go back there too. But In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we come to the rationale that carries us to keep honoring even when it's hard. So here's the entire command. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So even Paul mentioned it in Ephesians. But this is the first of the Ten Commandments that really has a promise. 
God gives a carrot, so to speak, an incentive about why it's worth keeping at this. Why obey your parents? Why honor them? So that your days may be long in the land. Now, but now we have to ask the question, what does even this mean? What does this mean about being long in the land? Is this talking about you're just going to have a long life on earth? You know, your life just lasts longer when you obey your parents? Or does it refer to something else? I think verse 12 is instructive for us at the end there, that last phrase. It mentions that this land is what the Lord your God is giving you. What is this land? Well, in the context of the Old Covenant, that's what we're getting here in the Mosaic Covenant, in this context of Israel, what's the land they were getting? It was their inheritance. It was what God was getting them in the land of Canaan. This was the promised land, that little strip of land on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. God promised to Abraham and to all his descendants, this is going to be yours forever. And so God made this covenant with them. He brought them out of Egypt. He said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to have you go conquer that land. Remember with Joshua, Jericho? That's where this all began. So they were going to live in that land, build a temple there, and worship God there. Eventually, the thought was to be have worship of Yahweh spread all over the earth from there. But there's a catch with this Mosaic law, isn't there? You got to obey. And if you will not obey, if you will not trust Him, these promises won't turn out the way that at least you thought. Let's put it that way. Such that God will have to warn them, and you'll have to discipline them, and you'll have to drive them out of the promised land. And so, for example, you can turn there or just listen, but here's how it plays out later in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 4. This lays out the consequences for what happens when we don't obey the law, like honor your parents. We read this in Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 and 26. It says, When your father, when you father children, and your children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God is so to provoke him to anger, so you disobey God, you're disobeying even the first of the Ten Commandments, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish, note this, from the land that you're going over to possess, over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. If you are not faithful to your end of the covenant, right, you will be removed from the land of promise. You won't live long in it. And so the warning is, conversely then, well, what are you supposed to do instead of disobeying God's commands? You're to obey. And here's how it plays out. This is verse 40 of Deuteronomy 4. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well for you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Does that sound familiar? It's just like the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents so you live long in the land, the promised land God's giving you. What's the point? Why are we going through this? Because you need to understand how this connects to the Christian life. Because this is not mainly a command about if you obey your parents, you know, life's going to go better for you. You'll probably live longer. That's not what this is. It's not an axiomatic principle, at least not in this verse. You can, you can find that. Go to Proverbs chapter 1. Great. You can find the wisdom of listening to godly wisdom from your parents. It's going to make life better. True. But that's not what mainly this is about in Exodus. What is it about? It's about, in a phrase, covenant faithfulness. It's about trusting the God of promise that he will keep his word so you follow him. It's about enjoying the promised land. It's faith in God's promise that's so real, right? It's so strong because God put it there. It's saving faith. It's a regenerating faith. It's a faith that changes you from the inside out. Those are the people that go into the promised land. This is why, to go back to Ephesians now, when Paul picks up on this fifth command, he doesn't drop the promise language about the land, even though that was given, in a sense, particularly to Israel. But the principle applies to us, too, because here's what he says. Listen again. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, as in it applies to you, too, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. But what land or promised land does Paul have in mind? 
Are we going to inherit the promised land of the Mediterranean? Paul in the rest of Ephesians never speaks about a land anywhere. But he does talk about, remember what we said the land was? It's their inheritance. And Paul talks about inheritance actually quite a lot for the Christian. That we will inherit the kingdom of God. There's the glorious inheritance of the saints. There is the inheritance of our salvation where our bodies are raised from the dead and we live with God forever in the ultimate promised land. That's what this is about. So how does this relate? If you trust Christ, you will walk in obedience and then you will get to walk in the promised land. So Christian, keep at it. It's worth it. Obey your parents. It'll prove worth it in the end. You won't regret it. Conversely, then, he's also saying, if you do believe me, then show it. Obey your parents. Honor your authorities. Give honor to whom honor is due. And he will make sure you will never regret it. Because that's what believers do. That's what believing children do. And that way, it might then be said... One's obedience to his or her parents serves as probably that first fruit of genuine conversion in the young person's life. This is the first place probably genuine conversion can really be seen and tested and authorized. It's right in the home and probably right where you treat your parents. And so from this, I have two words of exhortation to the children here. First of all, to the smaller ones. Who can understand? Okay? So first off, children, you need to know that salvation, it's for you. In Ephesians, Christ is calling you. And he's saying the promised land's for you. If you will trust him. You don't need to wait till you get older and you have big boy mess-ups. You can follow and enjoy a relationship with him now. He can forgive you now. Just call upon Jesus to have mercy, and he will. He's inviting you into it. Don't wait till you're big. He's calling you right now to follow and obey him. He's not overlooked you. He's not moved beyond you. He knows you intimately. And he's calling you to turn around, stop dishonoring your parents, because I'll receive you anyway and receive you as a heavenly father. He knows this won't be easy either. He knows walking through this is challenging. Jesus submitted to his own parents. We know this from Luke chapter 2. He knows the challenge of this personally, but he's telling you it will be so worth it. Trust me in this. Your life will be most long in the land of no more bad guys, no more scary dreams, no more fighting or complaining or sicknesses or crying or pain anymore. There you will find the one who loved you so much that he will die for you, that he will rise for you and receive you into his arms. There's no better heavenly father than that. Now, I have a word for the older children, maybe the teen-aged and college-slash-C3-aged children. Okay? To you. And I came to Christ in this period of my life. And so I'm saying, don't walk in some of the ways I walked. Receive it like that. Okay? But you young people, we delight. Oh, it is a joy in this church to see you profess faith in Christ and to see you come into the waters of baptism. It's such an encouragement to us and a rebuke at times to see you down at VCU. You're down at the boardwalk preaching the gospel. You're voraciously studying the Bible. You're coming back with words from Steve Boom that we've never heard about. But young people, is that faith seen at home by your parents? Is yours an attitude of submission, respecting, and obedience to them? If that's not at all the case, or not at all the main case in your life, it seems like then, what we've seen here, that your Christian fervor might just be an outward show. 
when your church friends are looking and watching. And I can say that because I think your parents, we get that. We were once young people too, and more than that, I think all of us still know the tendency and how difficult it is to take those closest to us for granted, to change old habits to those closest to us, especially probably our parents. That's a tough road to hoe. Why is that? Well, it's because your parents, your family, they know probably what's best about you, but they certainly probably know what's worst. They've seen it. And so when that's the case, perhaps the best thing for you to do is to begin and humbly confess your sins to mom and dad. Apologize for not honoring them. Maybe take a next step of asking for their prayers to help you walk in obedience. Maybe the next step, mom, dad, you see me up close. How can I grow as a Christian? Get ready, parents. You might get asked that. I preached at first hour already. How can I grow, mom and dad, in trying to honor you? Ask ask your parents that. And parents, encourage your kids in this when you see this kind of thing going on. For that kind of thing can be the first true sign that they are indeed a brother or sister in the faith, a fellow journeyman on to the promised land. Embrace them in this. Encourage them in this. That's a way you can help provide for them even still. And so, too, for all the children, big and small, may we see this great promise before us, that unwavering, sure promise of God. And so then, persevere in obeying and honoring our parents, because we know it honors Christ, who tells us to honor them, but also because we know it's worth it. No sacrifice, no swallowed independence that we feel like we're relinquishing back to our parents, You will not regret it that last day. Actually, honestly, on that last day, you'll be wondering, why didn't I trust and obey Jesus more in this? Unto that, let's pray together. As I pray, I'm going to ask the men who have already been designated to come forward to distribute the elements for the Lord's table. Father, we ask that you would show us mercy, that you would forgive us our sins of dishonoring our parents, and also related to this, all the authorities that you've set above us. We know that you are sovereign, you're in control, you've put us in whatever families or family structure or uh, society and neighborhood. That's all from you, and it's an opportunity for us to trust you and honor you in it. Give us wisdom how we can do that. Forgive us how we haven't, but may we walk with the assurance of our Heavenly Father because of this table, what it represents, the death of Jesus for us, to make us, by faith, children of God. May we partake then humbly, but to your glory. Amen.